Good morning, afternoon, or evening. We are back, Bostopian News with Evan George, to finish up our election coverage of the District 5 preliminary race. And while I did want to release this simultaneously with the previous episode, I got a little too carried away and excited going through the 161-page federal investigation into Rachel Rollins. So if you have not listened to that, I highly recommend you do. It just gives a lot of interesting background to Ricardo Arroyo, which is going to be the primary subject of today's episode. And the timing of this recording is perfect, as just this morning, Michelle Wu officially announced her endorsement of Enrique Pepin for District 5. And I believe this is the first and only endorsement by Michelle Wu where there is an incumbent. She has already endorsed Henry Santana for at-large, as well as Sharon Durkin for the special election for District 8. And those two previous people, and Enrique, all worked for her. And Michelle Wu is obviously the looming figure when discussing this Boston City Council race, as she has basically more than anyone done her best to meddle not just with the actual districting lines, whether or not we want to say that there is some validity to the conspiracy, that the city of Boston purposely did not put up an adequate legal defense of the previously voted on and approved redistricting lines, which would have weakened white conservative power and reinforced minority representation and what we'll call progressive voices on the Boston City Council. Did her administration deliberately botch that? Looking at the map that she submitted, it absolutely would have pulled the Boston City Council to the right. And if you're asking yourself, why would Michelle Wu want that? Because it is a much better political narrative for her going further, that she's doing her best and that their struggles are because of an old, conservative, somewhat racist city that is holding her back. That is the narrative that she wants, that she's comfortable with. And now, with this most recent endorsement, we have three, or potentially three, because Sharon also has to basically rerun right away, three voices that will be on the Boston City Council who she hired, and then arguably she helped get elected. And we're going to talk about Enrique also quite a bit, because I have gone back and forth in my mind about who actually should you support, or who would I recommend people support. And it's actually not as clear as I thought it was going to be before I started recording this. But before we get into all that, we don't need to do a big, deep background of Ricardo. I've already done a standalone episode on him. You can scroll through my previous podcast episodes if you want to learn more about his early history, just in terms of his quick election synopsis, we'll call it, on how he ended up on the Boston City Council. Ricardo entered the race in 2019. Like everyone did once finally there was an open seat after Timothy McCarthy decided that he was going to step down. There was an eight-person race for that. Ricardo ended up winning with 29.5% of the overall vote. Second place finisher in that was uh, Maria Estelle Farrell. And third place finisher, Jean-Claude Sanon, who is one of his also another current challenger. He came in third place with 15.3% of the vote. 
Now, that was for the preliminary. Ricardo ended up going then head-to-head with Maria, where Ricardo took 54.5% to Maria's 45%. Back in 2021, he really didn't have a legitimate challenger. He was challenged by John White. Ricardo blew that away, capturing 75.7% of the vote. Now, of course, as people know, he then the following year ran for Suffolk District Attorney against Kevin Hayden. Go back and listen to those episodes if you'd like even more detail. And Ricardo lost that primary election with 45.6% of the vote to Kevin Hayden's 53.5%. And we're going to talk more about the specifics of that race because particularly Ricardo won what is ostensibly his district. And I don't want to just give that to you now. So the Suffolk County DA race, there were really four different towns are what encompass Suffolk County. Um, Winthrop, Kevin Hayden won 71 to Arroyo's 29. He got killed there. Chelsea, Arroyo carried with 55% to Chelsea, I'm sorry, to Hayden's 45. Revere, Hayden took 60-40. And within Boston, Hayden took 54-46, which is the exact percentages that they took in the overall because Boston's total votes in that election was just under 69,000. And if you included Revere, Chelsea, and Winthrop all together, you got something close to 7,000. But now if we look within Boston, where did Ricardo do well? And just really focusing on what matters, which is really Ward 18, which is almost all of High Park. It probably goes into other areas, but that is the massive heart of District 5. And with that, Ricardo Arroyo for Ward 18 took 4,498 votes to Kevin Hayden's 40,060, which as a percentage, Kevin Hayden took just about 44%. Ricardo Arroyo took just under 49%. And there were almost 600 blanks, which represent a larger margin than was the difference between them. But still, at the very peak of the sexual assault allegations and all of that, Ricardo Arroyo still took that area. And so in my mind, if he still took that area, given the political climate on September 6th of 2022 against him, I think he has a very strong chance of winning re-election this round. That's going to be the the quick, (laughs) I'm not even going to tease it. But we still have a lot to get through before we made that. And maybe before we get to the challengers, just to briefly talk about how the district changed, changed slightly, because once the judge from West Roxbury threw out the previously drawn maps, which again would have weakened two primary conservative white voter bases here in Boston, they then had to do an entire redrawing. Rootsy Lujan really just took the helm of it. And did her best working with the conservatives to now not just claw back the gains that those white conservatives had, but to expand their power and to retaliate against Ricardo Arroyo, Kendra Lara, Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, who the body viewed as the primary champions of the previous map that got thrown out. Go listen to my episode on that coverage. There was some wild stuff in there that went down. But after a back and forth, they originally were going to take two significant precincts away from Ricardo Arroyo. 
1414 and 1405. And why did they want to take those? Well, Ricardo Arroyo won 1414-handedly, winning two-thirds of the votes from 1414. So, of course, as a retaliation, they wanted to get rid of that, throw that in District 4. Ricardo Arroyo really just struck a compromise with Rootsy, saying, let me keep 1414, you can get rid of 145. Though Ricardo took 14.5 by 57%, it does not have the same number of voters as 14.14 did, and he doesn't have as much strong support. So he was willing to get rid of that if it meant he gets to keep 14.14. And that's one of the big changes, is that 14.5 is no longer in that district. And then also on the other side of the district, his district gained 20.01, which he very, very narrowly beat out Kevin Hayden, with Ricardo Arroyo getting 233 votes to Kevin Hayden's 226 votes for 2001. And besides that, I think the map more or less is the same. Maybe I missed one of the Warden Precinct changes, but overall, it'll be a very similar map. And again, for the heart of his district, Ricardo Arroyo took that last year. But will he take it again? That is the question. So let's now quickly read about the makeup of his race. This was written up on uh, June 21st, 2023, Bay State Banner. This written up by Yao Miller, who does probably one of the best jobs in Boston covering the Boston City Council under the District 5. Incumbent Ricardo Arroyo is facing challenges from Haitian community activist Jean-Claude Sanon, retired police union activist Jose Ruiz, and the executive director of the city's Office of Neighborhood Services, Enrique Pepin. Suffolk County Sheriff Steve Tompkins, who lives in the district and is a member of the Ward 18 Democratic Committee, said incumbency will give Arroyo an advantage. Quote, the Arroyo name is still strong, unquote, he said. The Arroyos in District 5 are pretty formidable. While Arroyo received negative press coverage after Boston Globe reports last year alleged he was investigated for sexual assault in high school, his challenges face an uphill battle for name recognition and securing the resources to mount a campaign. Tompkins says putting together a campaign with a finance director, chief of staff, and communication strategy during a low turnout year can be a daunting task. Quote, they have to develop a message that's going to resonate with the people in District 5, he said. They'll have to take two or three months and really pound that into the electorate. Arroyo has already been there. He's done that. So far, Sanon, who has run for the seat twice before, leagues among the challenges and fundraising, showing receipts of 7371 during May. I'm going to give you the updated numbers in a bit. The other two challenges haven't reported any contributions. Arroyo reported a balance of 17,348. So that is the basis banner. Very quick synopsis of the state of the race. But not to be outdone, the Boston Globe just today, again, another great timing for this podcast, also released an article in Boston District 5, Controversy Swirls Around the Incumbent as Three Challenges Vie for the City Council Seat. This written up by Danny McDonald. I'm just going to read you the first uh, three, we'll call them paragraphs, um, and these, basically, if you, if you just looked at it in terms of like characters, is the same amount of space that Yahoo just gave you his description from two months ago about the different state of the race, who's running, and all of that. Begins. The dynamic in the race for Boston City Council District 5 is simple. Ricardo Arroyo, a progressive incumbent hounded by controversy over the last year, is battling for a third term against three challenges attempting to unseat him. 
In a closely watched race for a seat that covers hydroponic laws and Daryl Potts and Mattapan, voters will have to decide whether Arroyo's work on the city's legislative body outweighs various political imbroglios, including an ethics violation, a scandal involving the downfall of a U.S. attorney, and years-old sexual assault allegations he vehemently denies. The sexual misconduct allegations surfaced last year during his run for Suffolk District Attorney, and they still cloud the former public defender's political future. Arroyo, the 35-year-old scion of a well-known political family, maintains he did nothing wrong, that he was never charged with a crime, and that he has never committed any sexual violence. But the allegations may have cost him the DA's race. Now he's fighting for another council term. Quote, I would not be running for office if I didn't believe I'm the most qualified person for this work, unquote, he said during a recent interview. Now, again, in that brief amount of space, which I think is about the same amount of length, again, as what I read you from Yahoo's, never once mentioned the name of any of the people running and only really just talked about all of the, we'll call them controversies surrounding Ricardo Arroyo. Just briefly wanted to highlight that little discrepancy in coverage. Now, to be fair, there is an ad break in the Boston Globe article, and then he names the three challengers. Anyway, let's take those challenges now one by one, and I'll give you a quick breakdown of them. And let's start with Jean-Claude Sinan. Now, Jean-Claude is 64 years old, currently runs a company that offers translation services. And according to The Globe, he has already unsuccessfully run for the city council four times. Before I go through that, he was born in Haiti and moved to Boston in 1975. He attended Boston English High School, received a bachelor's degree in computer science from Newberry College, and he started his business, Avant-Garde, as I believe the pronunciation, back in 2005. And he is also a radio and television announcer, according to his Ballopedia. Interesting. Now, I have Jean-Claude running first in 2015 to try to unseat the Timothy McCarthy, the incumbent, Jean-Claude received 35.5% in that vote. He then ran, as we mentioned before, in 2019, where he was got third place in the preliminary of an eight-person race, got 15% of the vote for that. He then is running now in 2023. Now, according to his Ballopedia, those are the only times he's run for office. But again, he moved to Boston, been here for some time, very possible he ran before in the past, and I missed it. Or I should say, Bellapedia did. Now, during his time here as a teenager in Boston in 1975, which is when he moved to Haiti, this is where he learned English. And of course, going to school in the 70s means that he was directly impacted by desegregation. According to the Globe article from today, he recalls being punched on an MBTA train in South Boston and being chased through a Hyde Park neighborhood by four hammer-wielding white people. Now, according to his LinkedIn, oh, I found another time he ran for office. In 2008, he has listed under experience a candidate for the Boston City Councilor at large election. And some other little pieces of information I've been able to gather is I believe he still lives in Mattapan, and he would be the first, or at least the only sitting Boston City Councilor to be elected as somebody who lives in Mattapan. Let's say his first child was born in Mattapan. He then looks like moved to Hyde Park, where he had twins, created a restaurant and insurance agency and the computer repair store, and then maybe moved to Rosendale, where he resided in the late 80s, and a recent resident for the past two years. So I think he still lives in Rosendale. Okay, I'm a little confused about where he currently lives. But maybe when he first arrived to Boston, it was in Mattapan, so that's why he is saying he would be, because he's mentioned before, it's like his pitch, that he would be the first from Mattapan. And in truth, 
I had the hardest time looking into him. Like, for example, if you just go to Google and you type in his name and Boston, John claude Sinan, Boston, there are only 10 websites come up. Never once is he featured, one of which is a different John claude from Boston. So, I mean, my biggest advice to his campaign is you, you got to get out there more. And when it comes to money, he currently, as the last filing, which was the end of July, has $15,565 on hand. Looks like he's basically maintained a balance of $3,000 since 2020 and then really shot up in May to 10000 cash on hands, June 11700 and now July with that 15565 Now, despite, again, running multiple times, apparently, he did not try to challenge Ricardo last cycle. And so while he might have the second most name recognition after, like, you know, out of the four, I really don't see much. I also listened, and I'm going to draw from the uh, Boston City Council District 5 forum that the progressives of West Roxbury and a whole host of different organizations ran on. I listened to that entire thing. It's about an hour and a half. And just get, getting a sense, I don't really view him as someone who's going to make it out of the preliminary. But, you know, what makes local politics so difficult to, to call these things is we don't have polling. And again, he's run multiple times. He has, within the ballpark of the same amount of money as everyone else, like once I give you their breakdowns, there's no massive margin or lead that anyone has. Something tells me August is going to reflect that differently, but at least in terms of the end of July. But out of the four where I see them situated and where I can imagine their voters coming from, I really don't think there's going to be that many Jean-Claude voters, to be honest. So that's him. And now going up, Let's go to someone who I can see making it out of the preliminary, and that is Jose Ruiz. Now, Jose was born in Puerto Rico. According to his website, his father died when he was only a baby, and facing financial difficulties and hardship, his mother decided to move with him and his brother to America, where they chose Boston. Now, similar to Jean-Claude, he also ended up in the Boston Public School Systems during desegregation and is one year younger than Jean-Claude, meaning that Jose is 63. He went to Northeastern University for several years, and then I believe left before he graduated, but completed his education in 2003 and receiving a bachelor's in criminal justice from Curry College. Now, he is very heavily leaning into his experience with the Boston Police Department, as he is a 29-year veteran of the Boston Police. And according to his police origin story, that like many, he was distrustful of law enforcement and had several negative interactions with officers in his areas. However, through the guidance and mentorship of his baseball and boxing coach, two BPD officers themselves, he began to understand that he too could make a difference in the lives of other kids like him by working to fix the institution from the inside. Now, I don't need to be opaque about it. Jose is obviously the most conservative candidate. I'm going to read you some of the differences between the policies of the four. He is the one that I want to see the least to win. And whenever I hear one of these origin stories, I always want to ask, well, what was wrong with the institution of policing from when you were younger? Because whenever I hear this origin story, and it's what every former cop who runs for office always says, I they never cite what was wrong with it. They just take it as given, well, there was something wrong. I kind of want the detail. Now, in 1992, 
That's when he took the Boston police exam and entered the academy two years later, being the only Latino in his class. In 1996, he partnered with the Boston Red Sox Foundation to run their youth baseball and softball programs. And he got some good press in the Boston Herald back in 2014 with the title Cops Fight Hunger as Well as Crime. Because obviously, if you're a police officer, you could very easily get a puff piece written about you in the Boston Herald. And this discusses him donating food on his Saturday morning. Now, in terms of his time with the police, I believe I read somewhere that he was very involved with the union. So I would love his thoughts on Patrick Rose and on whether or not he supported his uh, presidential term as the head of the police union. And I know that there is a FOIA request into his public records while he was a police officer that I found on muckrock.com. It was submitted on June 4th. And according to the status that I see, it is still waiting a response. I've tried to get his record as a Boston police officer to see any complaints against him, things like that. And quickly looking at his LinkedIn, before he became a Boston police officer, he worked for the Boston Parks Department as the regional administrator in 1988 to 1994. And before we get to the policy differences that make him the clear standout conservative, he opened his account with $100 back in May of this year and very quickly jumped up to just under 16000 And these are just the cash on hand numbers. And then at the end of July, he brought in another 20, spent 11,000 of it, leaving a cash on hand balance of just over 25,000, which puts him currently at second place in terms of who has the most cash on hand, at least at the end of July. Ricardo's number one, sitting at 27,000 after doing 11,000 of expenditures this past July. And finally, that brings us to Enrique Pepin who, just to get the numbers out of the way, has the least amount of cash on hand and has raised the least in this race, though it looks like he only began collecting in June. He currently sits at 10000 cash on hand at the end of July and only spent under $900 this past month. Enrique is 26 years old, making him definitely one of the youngest to run in the office this campaign season. He was born and raised in Boston by Dominican immigrant parents and he grew up in the Boston Housing Authority development. And according to his website, there was a major shooting at Charleston High School and a promise by former Mayor Thomas Menino to open a police station nearby. Pepin knew that he wanted to be a part of the solution. So at a young age, Pepin set his sights on a career in public service. Now, I am very unclear if that phrasing is meant to be he supported a police station opening up nearby and something that... I kind of noticed in digging more into him and some of his stances is while he stated that he supports reallocating funding towards social services, he seems to be pretty comfortable and friendly supporting police as well. But we'll get more to that later. In high school, he was very involved in Model United Nations, and he was awarded a full scholarship to Suffolk University. Now, he has ended up working for city government basically since he was 18. So when he was a freshman throughout his junior year, he worked for City Councilor Tito Jackson with Constituent Services. He then served as the district coordinator for Joe Kennedy III. And wow, is that a you know our first little red flag, we'll call it. And in senior year, 
He accepted a position working for Mayor Marty Walsh as the JP liaison for the city of Boston. But to quickly go back, so he was the special assistant. He was what's referred to as a body man for Kennedy. And this was, of course, during the campaign. And it looks like he had this position from October 2019 until September 2020. And the reason I said, wow, is that a red flag, is if you want to just make a very quick assessment of someone's politics, whether they're running for office or if you just happen to meet them at a bar, if they went for Kennedy over Markey, what that generally signifies is this is somebody who wants a career in politics, that they do not have strong and adamant stances where it comes to policy, that they just want to be in the room. They want to be in the circle. They are just trying to work their way up. Now, is that why he became the special assistant for Joe Kennedy? I don't know. But I am just telling you, overall, if you just wanted a very quick litmus test, if you supported Kennedy, that's kind of one of them. And I know people who worked for that campaign who would tell me privately, I needed to pay rent. I needed the money. I didn't even do a good job with the position. I just needed the money. And I don't hold things against people individually. Again, as socialists, we challenge systems, not really people. I understand that people sometimes put in that predicament. Maybe he was as well for this. He just needed a job. Kennedy's have a lot of money. Now, he's also been the chair of the Latino caucus for the Young Democrats of Massachusetts. This is from March 2020 until June of 2021. And after college, he became the community engagement coordinator. This is October 2020 through December 2021. So he spent his basic entire undergrad working in local Boston politics with Tito, with Marty, Kennedy, and then became the community engagement coordinator for transportation for Massachusetts. And he does have very good stances where it comes to public transportation. It's probably his strongest role. Now, he served there for one year and three months. But then Siren Song of the Boston City Hall called to him once more, and he became the executive director for the Office of Neighborhood Services under Michelle Wu from January 2022 until June of 2023. And so I make sure to mention it. He was also listed under 2022's Latino 30 Under 30. Very impressive. Congratulations to him for that. Not really clear what you need to do to get those type of awards, but... I would brag about it to my friends if I ever did. And he already got to have a little brief scandal. This was in early July, where basically, if you are working for a municipal government in some capacity, the rules make it very, very difficult for you to be a candidate. Now, people will tell you, mostly idiots, that this is to prevent corruption, that you do not want people who are already working for city government to be able to then ask people for money to run for office because of potentials of corruption or graft or whatever. The reason I say those people are idiots is that that is really not the reason that these laws are still on the books or why some of these laws are trying to be put in place. It is because incumbents know that people who tend to work for city government have an interest in politics, maybe even see themselves one day in the future running for office. And one of the best hurdles to making sure they don't do that is to put so many restrictions on them that they essentially need to quit their job, risk losing their livelihood, the livelihood of their families, their health insurance, just to be able to run. And again, to try to then knock out an incumbent, which in Massachusetts is almost impossible. So these laws to me 
are mostly BS and they're mostly just to protect incumbency. So I don't care about this at all. But essentially, because he had that position with the mayor's administration, Michelle Wu, and that he was soliciting campaign contributions, according to the article, he may have even taken a call in City Hall, reading from the Boston.com article, July 10th, from Ross Cristantiello. Pepin also reportedly conducted a campaign interview from City Hall. Under state law, public employees cannot use public resources for political activities. Public resources include virtually anything that is paid for by the taxpayers, including work phones, laptops, and paid time of public employees. Now, he apologized for this. And despite it being mentioned in a quick sentence every now and then, whenever they do one of these, who's running in District 5, I really don't see it at all affecting anything. Because, as I mentioned before, for the people who even know about this rule, it is mostly a BS rule to protect incumbency. And before I give you some of the breakdown between them, and to further elaborate on my back and forth between Enrique and Ricardo, I want you to know that in his spare time, he enjoys walks along Center and South Street and practicing his photography skills. That was also mentioned in a brief write-up about him. But okay, he has a long career working with Boston Municipal Titans. He received Michelle Wu's endorsement. I already began expressing some of my concern. And to be honest, it's one of the biggest reasons I'm hesitant to say that he is the person you should be supporting, mostly because of what I believe the role to be for the Boston City Council. And there was a fantastic question in that forum, and I'm going to play you their responses and why Ricardo really earns a lot of points with how he answers that. But I should also mention that there is at least one, and I'm very confident that it'll be more, but a PAC has entered the race, a super PAC, with essentially one mission, and you could phrase it as anyone but Arroyo. This pack is called Enough is Enough, and reading from a Dorchester Reporter article on August 15th by Gentatis, the group calling itself Enough is Enough aims to oust incumbent Councilor Ricardo Arroyo, who has held the Hyde Park and Mattapan seat since January 2020. And its laid out purpose, quote, oppose the election of Ricardo Arroyo and to support the election of his opponents. And the chair and treasurer is Gemma Martin, who runs a campaign finance compliance firm out of Dedham. And just to leapfrog a little bit, I should also mention that Pepin has several labor endorsements, including Dorchester-based IBEW Local 103, Bricklayers Local 3, and United Here Local 26. It is so hard for even me to keep up with who has endorsed who. And so I'm sure Jose has received some endorsements, I believe, probably from the Firefighters Union, and I'm absolutely confident the police will support him as well. But I'll have a better sense of that once we start seeing the lit. And maybe people start updating their websites more often. Now, to differentiate between the candidates, uh, Ricardo and Enrique filled out Progressive Massachusetts questionnaire. So that's incredibly helpful. The other two candidates didn't even bother. And as I mentioned before, the Boston City Council District 5 forum that was held by Progressive West Roxbury and a whole multitude of other groups did a fantastic forum where you get to hear from all the candidates. Some of the things that popped out to me, um, Jose mentions that one of the reasons restaurants keep closing in the Hyde Park area and moving to Route 1 is because they don't have enough parking. And I'll say he says several things like this, which makes it very clear to me that he is not that intelligent where it comes to the issues or policies. Now, you don't need to be to win elected office. On the issue of housing, both Jean-Claude and Jose mentioned shortages of housing, you know, really just kind of going with the uh, more uh, Yimby, I went to one Econ 101 class of things. 
Enrique highlighted public housing, which is fantastic. Again, his views on housing and transportation are by far his strongest things. When asked the question on rent control, all four candidates said yes. Jose's answer was kind of odd. It was to the effect of yes, but we need to keep in mind all of the existing laws when we have the discussion. I don't know what that means, except for I believe he knows that his path to victory is going to be the more conservative lane, is going to be the homeowners, the landlords, the developers that might not want rent control. So while he still feels a little pressure to say yes, I think he just quickly pivoted to a caveat to as like a way of signaling, like, oh, but you know, I'll continue to listen to uh, landlords and I'll probably only support a rent control that puts a cap of 200% increase per month. Now, when asked the question of, do you support reallocating police funding? Ricardo, Jean-Claude, Enrique all said yes. Jose was a no. Jose was also the only no on having city flaggers, basically having details for construction sites, not have to be a police officer like they are in every municipality. You don't need a police officer to direct traffic. It's actually incredibly easy. You also don't need a gun to do it. Jose was the only person who was against that. And then when asked a question on climate change, really Jose, Jean-Claude, and Enrique all gave incredibly weak answers that had no substance to them. And that was, it, it stood out to me, especially with Enrique. And you know, all three of them basically said, like, we need education. We need to, like, spread awareness around climate change, which, my God, if that's what you think we need to do in 2023, I don't know what to tell you. But I will say on Progressive Massachusetts questionnaire, Enrique hit all of the things that you should be hitting when asked that question. But the big, big one, the thing that really made me start to second guess, because as I'm assuming you listened to it, but the previous episode, I originally teased this part by saying, if there's a candidate in the race that would essentially vote yes when Ricardo would vote yes and vote no when Ricardo would vote no, but isn't Ricardo and everything that comes with that. And by that, I don't just mean his past allegation of sexual assaults from when he was in high school, him paying a small fine because he was giving his brother legal advice, him texting with Rachel Rollins to try to win an election. That's not what I mean. I also mean the fact that he is, like 99% of politicians, politically ambitious to the point where I absolutely believe he would vote against a policy that would help people if it would promote him politically. But again, I put 99% of politicians in that boat. And I saw enough of how Ricardo acted during the mayoral race when he was supporting Kim Janey to just be able to make that statement confidently. However, and so, you know, again, with those things in mind, and Enrique, on paper, in terms of the policies, there's really not a single policy that they disagree with. When Ricardo puts yes on the questionnaire, so does Enrique. What really made me pause is when asked, and this is a fantastic question, so thank you again to whoever put on this forum. When really asked the question about what do you view as the relationship between the city council and the mayor? And, you know, give me a concrete example. You know what? Let me just play you the question. But it essentially gets to where would you have disagreed with Michelle Wu? And what would you have done differently? Like, what will you do differently that might put pressure on Michelle Wu? Things like that. Things that are highlighting the function of the city council. And as an aside, a few nights ago, I was at my local bar and I ended up talking to this young kid. He's a law student and he wants to run for office. And I essentially asked him the same question. 
you know, I was referencing like, you know, does it need to be you? Do you need to be the person to run? And if you think it is, well, then where is a time where you would have voted yes when the other person said no, or when you would have said no and the other person said yes? Because if you can't answer that question, you shouldn't be running. Anyway, let's hear what the question comes down to. And oh, wait, I'm sorry. I know I'm teasing this a lot. Another question when asked, uh, ranked choice voting, Jean-Claude was, I believe, the only one to vote no. The rest all supported it. And very specifically, when asked about should non-citizens with legal status to be here, should they be able to vote in municipal elections? Enrique, Ricardo, and Jean-Claude all voted yes. And Jose said he's undecided and needs to learn more. You absolute coward. It's either that or, as I mentioned before, you just have never really thought about policy. Like, it's not your thing. You just want to sit in the in the chair and, I don't know, speak to reporters because you think that's fun. But absolute coward of an answer. And what, to me, that really means is, oh, I don't know what the conservatives want me to say on this. So I'm just going <laughs> to say nothing. But anyway, all right, the question that really puts Ricardo back in my consideration to support. Hey, and now uh, a real question. Okay, uh, Boston has a strong mayor system, as we know, but city councilors are elected to their own body. You're not a city department. Uh, so the question is, what are examples of the mayor's policies, the administration's policies that you'd support and what would that support look like? And what are examples where you'd push even farther or maybe even against the mayor? And what would that pushback look like? So, right, we're trying to have a government that's both uh, collaborative, but also uh, it's not just um, subservient. Okay, so first on this one is Enrique. Rachel, that's a great question. I think that what's important here is the process of democracy. I think that we're very lucky to have the system that we do have in Boston. And quite frankly, we are very lucky to have a very, the first ever elected woman mayor. But as city councilor, I look forward to not only work alongside the administration, but also with my colleagues inside City Hall. What's happening right now, there's too much inner fighting. There's, there's no collaboration. And that's hurting the residents of the district. We need, if elected as city councilor, when elected as city councilor, I'm looking to hold the mayor accountable to push the, the policies that are going to help the residents of Boston and also stand against her if I don't think it's going to serve this district well. Because at the end of the day, it's about collaboration and it's about listening to one another about what's best for the people of District 5. I want to work with my with my city council colleagues to make sure that we are working together to actually come up with a solution. But quite frankly, I don't think that that's what's happening right now inside that city council chamber. Was that a real answer to the question that was asked? Absolutely no. And if you want to say the Joe Kennedy thing was a red flag, and I'm being a little playful with that, but not really. When asked a question about what specific policy would you support that the mayor supports, what would that support look like? Something that she supports that you're against, what would that being against it look like? Enrique shifts it to attack the city council. Now, he could be doing that because he's a very intelligent 26-year-old man, and he knows that Michelle Wu is vastly more popular than the Boston City Council, and he is in a very tight four-way race and he will get a lot of points by bashing the city council, or at least a lot more than he will, by bashing Michelle Wu. And so that's what he needs to do to get elected. However, I am terrified, and especially when I said that endorsement today, that Enrique 
will just be another Boston City Councilor that on those three to four votes that happen every year where Michelle's to the right of where people think she is, he will make it easier for her. He will act as another Gigi who just takes calls and just reads off a script that probably somebody from the Wu administration wrote for them because he will feel indebted to her for this seat. Not just because she was his former employer, but because now she has her arm around him in the race. That is what I am ultimately terrified of. Because if the Boston City Council moves to Michelle's right, and she is all we have, then we are even more stuck than we are in 2023 to getting anything even remotely beneficial to the people of Boston through. Because to do that, you really need the pressure to move from the Boston City Council to the mayor, from the mayor to the state house. And if what we have is Michelle Wu on the left and a Boston City Council to her right, she will be able to play off of that. And we will have two years of a status quo with the stalemate going in favor of Michelle Wu because she will be seeming to try to do things in a Boston City Council, which will not be pushing her to. She wants a Boston City Council to advocate for 50% increase in the Boston police so that when she does a 5% increase, she seems like the reasonable, liberal, progressive who is doing the best they can. That's what she wants. I want you to contrast Enrique's answer, what he just did. And I'm not going to bother playing you, Jose, and Jean-Claude, because they say essentially the same thing. That, like, I'll support when I support, and I'll be against when I'm against. You know, without really any forethought into, what are you talking about? Like, what policies are you talking about? Where do you agree? Where don't you agree? Again, if you can't answer that question, why are you running? It doesn't need to be you. Listen to Ricardo. Ricardo. Thank you. I just want to start by saying there's obviously a lot more that I agree with the mayor than disagree on, but I do have a proven record of pushing her further, uh, whether that be fighting for uh, more participatory budgeting for individuals and more access and power for people in the participatory budgeting process, uh, whether that be pushing for uh, more funding from uh, our police department, which is at somewhere around like $400 million going towards sort of uh, making sure that we're dealing with social workers and improving uh, access to community programming that actually reduces violence in a different way and in a, in a healthy way for our communities and making sure that places that have been underfunded, I've certainly pushed there. And then a school committee uh, pushing for uh, a fully elected school committee. I was open to a hybrid, uh, but that is a situation where I believe that giving our communities the ability and the power of the ballot and democratizing our school committee, where we are the only municipality that does not elect our own, I pushed for that as well. And I would just say I've heard mention of, you know, discohesion on the council. And I just want to address that really quickly. This isn't a problem of personalities. This is a problem of politics. There's a very conservative wing and there's a progressive wing on the council. Almost every vote that we do passes nine to four. That's what it is. And I've gotten things done with that council where we have worked with the more conservative sect to get rent stabilization passed 11 to two. And there've been other issues where we're nine to four. I make no apologies for fighting for policy that I believe improves the lives of people of this city, especially people who have not been seen or heard. And when my colleagues disagree politically, you can have those disagreements politically without being personal. You will see I've never personally attacked anybody on that council. You won't find it. We work together collaboratively where it makes sense for our communities and almost every vote is nine to four, if not more. Thank you. That is an incredible answer. Not just the first part where he outlines all of the things that he has pushed Michelle Wu on, which my God, when you get that question, how do you not instantly think of an elected school committee? We just had a ballot initiative about it, which overwhelmingly passed. That should have been the first thing off the tip of your tongue. 
but he addresses all of those and then he addresses and it was funny because when Enrique started his like this you know lack of cohesion on the city council ricardo visibly winces during it it's pretty funny and you know i recently wrote a letter to the editor which says essentially the same thing that ricardo just said except he actually articulated it a little bit better where it comes to the ideological divide of 9-4. Like everything passes 9-4, some things are a little bit more, and there is a conservative block, and they vote as a block, and then sometimes they're able to pull, or sometimes people position themselves as a wedge, like Gigi, like Ricardo, like Liz Braden, like Rootsy. But ultimately, it's the same people voting the same way, but overwhelmingly, Things pass, and they have passed a lot of incredible legislation that has been either vetoed by the mayor or is just held up on someone's desk at the state house, where we know they're not going to do anything. They'll wait five, ten years until someone has a ballot initiative about it, and that way they can wash their hands of it. But just the contrast between those two answers really made me rethink what originally was my initial read was there's no difference between Enrique and Ricardo. Ricardo, I know who he is. Enrique, I don't. I'm willing to roll the dice on someone young and new, and maybe they break the right way. But looking at Enrique's history of who he's worked for politically, his connections with Michelle Wu, I'll also just outline a very big distinction that is on the Progressive Massachusetts questionnaire. When asked the question, which of the following groups have you chosen to reject slash would reject campaign contributions from? Ricardo Arroyo highlights fossil fuel executives and lobbyists, charter school advocates and lobbyists, police unions. He leaves blank for-profit developers. So Ricardo will accept money from for-profit developers, reject it, fossil fuel executives, charter school advocates, police union. Enrique, when asked the same question, says he will only reject campaign contributions from fossil fuel executives, that he will take it like Ricardo from for-profit developers, but unlike Ricardo, he will take money from charter school advocates and lobbyists, and he will take money from the police union. And so with that and everything else being even, where do we stand? I think I've covered everything that I wanted to cover about this, except for maybe a prediction, but also a recommendation of who to vote for. Now, I have spent years looking at Ricardo in my capacity as somebody who was politically active here in Boston and also with my fun Bostopia news stuff. So I have way more to go off of. And I am making a quick assessment of Enrique. So I am willing to say that it is possible I am miscalling who Enrique is. That just based upon that one forum and some questionnaires and his LinkedIn history, he's not going to just be a puppet of Michelle Wu my quick instinct, I've never met the guy in real life. At least I don't think. Maybe I bumped into him a couple of times. I don't know. But my honest read, if this vote were to take place tomorrow, I would probably go into the voting booth and select Ricardo because I think he will be voting on the Boston City Council to Michelle Wu's left. And I think one of the primary reasons Michelle Wu put her arm around a young incumbent. Maybe she knows internal stuff because you should never pick losers. And that's why a lot of people don't pick challengers. But there is a big upside of Michelle selecting Enrique, even if he loses. And that is because two years from now, when she runs again for mayor, maybe for a different position, who knows, she no longer is going to be tied to Ricardo. Her endorsement today 
severs that link because she originally supported him for Suffolk DA, stayed with him when the allegation was first reported on by the Boston Globe, especially when one of, again, the alleged victims came forward saying this never happened and the Boston Globe is manipulating my words or is pressuring me. And it wasn't until the second alleged victim came forward that I believe Michelle Wu officially withdrew her endorsement of him, like several others. That was really the, the, the jumping ship. However, it has always been written up that she was a supporter of his. This is now going to be something that she can point to, win or lose. So she really can't lose in this situation. Because again, I always remember Michelle Wu is very smart. She can't lose in this situation. If he wins, she has somebody on the Boston City Council that owes her. If he loses in the future, that, t- that relationship is severed. And she probably thinks, worst case scenario, Ricardo survives this. We have to become chummy again. Ricardo doesn't hold grudges because he is politically ambitious like I am. If it's mutually advantageous for us, we'll, be, we'll get back on each other's team in the long run anyway. But right now, I'd probably go with Ricardo. Again, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a public forum. <laughs> uh, I'll have to think more about how I'll articulate that to my much, much larger audience on TikTok, where I am aware that a lot of people will just uh, have trust in me. And so I'll need to look more into this. Maybe I'll reach out to Enrique uh, to have a conversation before I make a much more public endorsement. And I I guess I shouldn't even say that because this really isn't an endorsement of Ricardo. I think maybe 100 people in the city will know the difference between an endorsement and a uh, voting guide recommendation. But right now, my voting guide recommendation is Ricardo for the prelim. Would I begrudge anyone for going to Enrique? No. Because again, it's the prelim. Maybe you're hoping both of them will advance. Really anyone but Jose right now, though, John Claude, very tough to get a sense of uh, what his actual politics are, to be honest. And so now, fun prediction time. I think Ricardo's going to most definitely advance. Again, if he was able to take his area at the peak of those sexual assault allegations, that storm is weathered. I don't think really a lot of people care about the Rachel Rollins stuff, to be honest. I mean, that's just what I think a lot of people assume every politician and political appointee does anyway. I mean, they do. So people are generally smart to assume that. I don't think they care or even know about a small fine about helping his brother and still giving him legal advice. The royal name is still very, very strong. I think they all saw the city council try to cut up the district. They're viewing that as a backlash. So I think he advances. And then the smart money would be Jose, just because of the difference between the voters. Uh, You're going to have the conservatives. And I think having three people against Ricardo splits the, you know, F Ricardo factor, at least for the prelim. So people might not know where to go. Jean-Claude, he's run multiple times. So there's going to be at least a couple hundred people that continue to support him. Maybe more. I'll be the most surprised if he gets out. But again, he might have the second most name recognition. So... All right, for fun, I'm going with Ricardo, one, Jose, two, Enrique, three, Jean-Claude, four. And why I like predictions, because I'm just as often wrong as I am right, probably more often wrong than I am right. Then we get to look back and see what internal assumptions I made, and maybe we'll all learn something. And so with that, I think I have it all closed out. I promise you I was going to get this done quick. You know who you are, and as I mentioned before, If you would like to continue to incentivize me to do more of these episodes even more frequently, the best way you could do that is to promote the show, like, retweet, five stars, share around. 
And if you want to throw me a couple bucks, a cup of coffee or a beer, my Venmo is somewhere in my link tree. I'm sure you'll track it down. But again, you don't need to. And with that, take care. And as always, hope you have a great rest of your day.